Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Football is many things. Unpredictable, exciting, colourful, passionate, absorbing... Expensive. Venal. Infuriating. Exasperating. Time-consuming. Depressing. But one thing it most certainly is not is a level playing field. Welcome to the famous sloping pitch. In a week where there were reports of a possible new refugee crisis as hordes of foreign nationals spilled onto the streets of Manchester on Sunday, it was later revealed to be Manchester United fans flouncing out of Old Trafford (laughs) to get earlier flights home. (laughs) It was also a a week in which Arsenal were forced to deny that they've signed a four-year-old Instagram sensation. The kid has been dubbed Little Messi. (laughs) <laughs> but then we were all a little messy when we were four years old, weren't Absolutely. we? Absolutely. And dubbed is such a football thing, isn't it? Is, it is, isn't it? Apparently he's only been playing at Arsenal's development centre with some Duplo, <laughs> which has been dubbed Big Lego. Marcus Rashford very nearly missed the Liverpool game with a dead leg. Nemanja Matic also missed out with a Veruca, and Jadon Sancho forgot his kit. <laughs> And uh, it was also a week in which Arsenal boss Mikel Arteta claimed that ex-players and coaches are being put off going into management jobs because of the abuse that managers get. Yeah, shut up, G.I. Joe, you Velcro-haired freak. Anyway, <laughs> let's take a moment before we lower ourselves into the warm, soothing, relaxing, gently bubbling luxury jacuzzi that is the Premier League to dip our knackers tentatively into the rusty tin bath with a couple of inches of ice-cold water that someone just farted in that is the very bottom of the EFL. Oldham Athletics snagged a goalless draw away at Carlisle United, one of now three teams below us. We are, though, just one point off the very bottom again, thanks to a surprise win for previously reliable gold dumps, Gunthorpe United. Our next four games, well, they're against teams in the top six, so 21st may just represent something of a high watermark. We'll just have to wait and see. But a goalless draw is not a bad result when you consider that for some reason we've neglected to take the simple step of acquiring any strikers at all. Mm-hmm. Now, there's two little stories about Oldham this week that give you an insight into how the clown show is being directed. Firstly, there was that EFL charge over some outstanding transfer money not being paid to another club. We couldn't work out which of our free transfer and loan-heavy squad had actually been acquired with a fee of any kind. Well, whoever it was, apparently that's been paid off now, so that's one thing. That charge no longer it's hanging not, over. It's not 20 tracksuits like the uh, Tony Cascarino transfer to yeah, Gillingham, And a it? sack of footballs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then the second thing came up, which is an issue with Oldham not paying Rochdale the ticket money the O from the recent match at Spotland and the EFL are apparently having to withhold money from Oldham's next payout to cover this but it does answer the question, where did they get the money to pay off the outstanding transfer fee? You see, the clans, they're like gamblers taking out new credit cards every month to pay off the outstanding amount on the old ones. And things have reached such a pitch of disillusionment that Oldham fans this week have actually been expressing jealousy about Berry and, <laughs> and Rochdale and Wrexham and Stockport. Berry, you'll remember, went out of business a few games into the 2019-20 season, were expelled from the league altogether. Heartbreaking scenes outside Gig Lane, which was put up for sale by the administrators and supporters fear the worst. Of course, superstores, flats, neglect, 
grass waist high, like at Plough Lane. I remember going past Plough Lane. Yes, and, yes, yes. And uh, the grass was actually, you know, up to your yeah, chest. Yeah, and you can still visit Third Lanark, which <laughs> the ground is still there. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, now, apparently in Bury, supporters group Est1885 uh, plans to buy the ground by Christmas and get the club back into the pyramid in time for 2022-23, which is great, except that there's all, they've already formed a Phoenix club, Bury AFC, which plays at Radcliffe in the Northwest County's First Division North, which is the 10th tier. So it's all pretty messed up. The local derbies with themselves. When, when did, can I ask you, when did uh, the Football League become a pyramid? <laughs> because there used to be um, uh, Football League ladders, didn't there? There used to be they ladders, must be yeah. in a different shape now. Well, I think there's ladders, one, two, three, four, five, there's ladders, and oh. then it splits north-south, uh, oh. uh, tier six. So there's two tier six divisions. Right. And then below those, there are three, I think, feeders into those. Oh, into okay. those. So it's more like a ziggurat. Then Which really, is a pyramid, of course. Yeah, it's kind of pyramid. Yeah, it? it's almost exactly the same. Uh, apart <laughs> from the fact it's a little bit different. Let's different. not it's fall out, Chris, for goodness sake. Anyway, look at here's Berry playing, uh, planning Northwest County's first division uh, local derbies against themselves. And Oldham fans are actually muttering, you know, lucky bastards. Because <laughs> at least it feels like there's something to look forward to, you know. Yeah. And at Rochdale, the same thing. The fans group, the Dale Trust, have managed to see off some dodgy looking outside investment. And we're going, oh, how did they do that? Oh, no. And Stockport have just been bought by a local boy made good. Yeah, I'm very jealous of that. And that's a thing, Stockport Envy, isn't it? That's and that's been done before. Yeah, yeah, yeah Stockport yeah. Envy. Yes, that's right. And uh, actually, the Rochdale guy said said this: Look at our peers. Look along the M62: Bradford, Huddersfield, Halifax, Bury, Bolton, Wigan, Stockport. No, and it didn't, <laughs> didn't mention Oldham at all. And for some, you know, for decades, the idea that Rochdale would consider Oldham as a peer would have been laughable because for most of the 70s and 80s. The 90s, we're at least two divisions above them, but we're in League Two now. We're just below them. How dare they miss us out? Oh. I mean, you know, granted, you have to cross the M62 rather than go along it because we're only six miles away, and we have been in administration. You so, know, so we're in the club. Yeah, yeah. So Oldham are the Trotsky of the M62, <laughs> forgotten. Yeah, and there's Wrexham, of course. This week, their new Hollywood owners turned up. Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney watched their club for the first time, losing away at Maidenhead. Mm-hmm. So you know, welcome to football. She's a f- fickle mistress. She said he is. But then Oldham fans are one. Wondering, can we get Bernard Cribbins and Nick Grimmy Grimshaw to buy the club? (laughs) (laughs) And if not, why not? <laughs> anyway, we'll move on to... Um, well, just last night there was the uh, the Carabao Cup. Unfortunately. Well, I know that because I went to see Stoke yeah. lose to uh, to Brentford. Well, you know, and uh, other teams have lost to Brentford. And, uh, and you, at least you didn't lose by seven. No, no. You know. <laughs> um, Man, Man City lost on penalties last night and uh, to West Ham. And it's the first time they've lost in the League Cup for five years. Yeah. It wasn't even the Carabao Cup last time somebody else it was. It, was it the Rumbelows Cup? I think... I think it was unsponsored. I think they hadn't come. No. They hadn't even come up with the concept of sponsorship the last time someone no, else. Won. That can't be true. Yeah, no. It was. It was just the EFL Cup, and oh. Man United won it. They beat Southampton in twenty seventeen. Well, I remember that because Southampton probably should have won, shouldn't they? Yeah, they, uh, yeah, they had a goal disallowed. And oh, who was that Italian striker that they brought in? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, whose sister plays for the Italian women's team and looks quite like him? I'm not making no judgment. I'm just saying she's his sister after all. Well, they're both lookers. There you go. Yeah. Um, and there was also a Liverpool game last night 
mm-hmm. where um, Divock Origi scored a goal, the like of which I've never seen the like of which. You know, <laughs> I've seen way too much football over the decade, so it's quite hard to surprise me. But check it out if you haven't seen it. There was a, a caption in the paper oh, uh, 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 under a picture of this goal happening, and, and it looks like... Uh, Origi has just headed it, and the caption goes "heading through," <laughs> you know, oh. heading through to the next round of the uh, of the yes. Carabao Cup. But in fact, what he's done is he's he's back heeled it up and over his own head, and it was an astonishing thing. <laughs> but the caption writer of the papers clearly didn't see the goal. He thought it was Edda. He, he yeah, yeah, just yeah. saw the still and thought, well, he's yeah. obviously, that's obviously Edda. And, and Divock Origi, of course, Divock, uh, another footballer named after Star Trek character. Divock, <laughs> definitely. It would be the prince of somewhere. <laughs> well, it'd be a Vulcan, probably, would he? Or oh, it could well be. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, on to the, uh, the big money league. I mean, there's only one place, really, we can start this week. Yeah. I mean, Manchester United found the ideal way to commemorate the 10th anniversary of the shattering 6-1 home defeat by Manchester City by staging an equally shattering if not slightly more so, 5-0 home defeat by Liverpool. Um, I watched this on Sky and then again on Match of the Day because it was funny. I had it recorded because I was out. So I was doing a bit of a I know, I very nearly um, ruined it for you, didn't I? Did I, I, I was like sending you messages. Gone. Oh, my phone was buzzing away like crazy. I had an inkling that it was going to be interesting, but I couldn't I couldn't switch it on and see. Yeah, well, thank goodness nothing had happened to any of your boys then. That you well, yes, turning well, your exactly. phone on. Well, I don't wish it, but, no, no. You know. <laughs> but as you say, thank goodness. But um, amazing that uh, when you, you watch it on Ma- Match of the Day, that the highlights featured... Oh, it's a near miss by United. Goal by Liverpool. Another near miss by United. Oh, goal for Liverpool. Another goal for Liverpool. Managed to make the game seem almost even. Do you know? What I mean? yes. It was just. Yes. It, it's not. It wasn't the game that I that I just watched, where Liverpool had like eighty four percent of the ball, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Manchester United never never looked like being in the game. Never looked like being. And, in and, the game. and you know, at the risk of falling into the same trap, and, and not talking about Liverpool, but talking about United, you, you obviously saw the the incredible Ronaldo um, kicking out episode down near the by. Line. Well, yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, and uh, uh, just this this game writ large was the the race to be Premier League Player of the Month. Well, yes, between Salah and, and Ronaldo, still yeah, too yeah. close to call, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Salah scored three, but they were all defensive errors. Ronaldo scored the best goal of the game, yeah, which was unfairly right. disallowed. disallowed. That's right. And then he lost his rag, didn't he? Yeah, and tried to kick the ball well, through the, the, Curtis the, Jones's spine. That's right. Well, the Premier League. I, I'll come back to the kicking the ball through Curtis Jones's spine as. I feel I have to, but the uh, the thing about, about about the Premier League Player of the Year was that, that obviously there's been quite a lot of criticism of the Premier League, and you know, and they they've responded by saying, look, it, it's not about money, it's not about the fact that Ronaldo raised the profile of the Premier League. Mm. You know, we are not about money, we are about <laughs> football, and you know, this this next October Premier League Player of the Month, they're thinking it's going to be somebody outside of the top six, and the current favourite is uh, Rishi Sunak, the champion. Uh, good (laughs) the reason the reason the reason that the 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 ronaldo kicking out thing um interested me is it's slowly become evident to me that this idea of the referees um letting more go Mm. right there's been no description of what things should be let go Mm. they just seem to have a quota you know that every third foul that's fine it doesn't matter what it is it's fine. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been I've been uh, you know organising and playing football, amateur football, for uh, uh, where where you ha- where someone in the game has to referee the game. I've refereed um, games that I've played in for years and years and years, and I've developed over the years 
uh, a very laissez-faire system where I don't give a free kick for anything. Yeah. Whatever happened, not ha- d- deliberate handball, nothing. No. Because if you give one free kick, then you're giving free kicks every couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people then Not learn even treason. Not to- <laughs> treason. <laughs> well, death penalty for treason, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah, obviously. That. But no, the, the Ronaldo thing was, was interesting because you could see... Ah, because oh he yeah he he kicked the ball but the ball was right up against Curtis Jones and and in fairness if he'd managed to kick it right through Curtis Jones he'd have been clear through on goal so you know really Jones is lucky not to be sent off yeah, yeah. for denying him a clear goal scoring opportunity with his internal organs yeah but anyone else I you can't, you have to feel that anyone else would have been sent off mm-hmm. you know imagine if Fred had done that. Yeah. You know, my Fred had done it. The United fans have been calling for him to be sent off, probably. But yeah. Yeah. It's, it's well, or would you imagine if James Tarkovsky had done it? <laughs> yeah. You know, that's that's the worry, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Or Ryan Shawcross. Well, let's say Ryan been, wouldn't have done. Yeah, exactly. But I thought Paul Scholes came out of it all quite well, didn't he? He became yes. a meme, I think, mm. as the kids say. <laughs> and last midweek, when United played so poorly against Atalanta in the first half, he said, if they play like that against Liverpool, they'll be four 0 down at half time, and they did do, and they were. <laughs> <laughs> which only makes me take Paul Scholes' judgment even more seriously yeah. I mean he was already right up there on account of leaving Oldham after 31 days as manager and as we said last week naming Frankie Bunn as his favourite player but really this was quite amazingly sort of prescient for a, for a former you know, you know, yeah, yeah, no, it was showing great. up his, uh, his uh, contemporary Gary yeah. Neville who seemed baffled by the whole experience and as though it had been it, the, the thing had been laid on particularly was, to take the piss out of it him it was a personal affront a to personal Gary, slight it? to Gary yes, absolutely yeah, yeah. Surprisingly, bothered turning up for the uh, the wrap up of the show. Yeah. I see that. I mean, obviously, Solskjaer is under a certain amount of pressure in the way that we know that it works in football. Um, but I, I've been looking at Manchester United managers other than Alex Ferguson, yeah. <laughs> and actually, Solskjaer fits in quite well. If you look at Franco Farrell, Tommy Doherty, okay, won the FA Cup. Dave yeah, Sexton, yeah. Ron Atkinson, David Moyes, Louis Van Gaal, Mourinho, and Solskjaer. You know, yeah. what they're saying is, since Matt Busby, we've had Alex Ferguson and, and nobody and else. else um, yeah. it, it, you know, by their standards, with the FA Cup now no longer meaning anything because they sold it out. Yeah, and, and Mourinho, of course, won the Europa League, didn't he, I think, which is similarly uh, diminished in, yes, in, yes. in people's minds as, yeah, a, yeah. as an achievement. Yeah. I mean, and he was and in the in the amusing advert that he does, he makes more play out of being second in the league than <laughs> yeah. winning the Europa League. Yeah, he? yeah, he does. But I, it was interesting to look back at because um, it was the, the 10th anniversary of United losing 6-1 to, to Man City, which um, I remember having the great pleasure of watching with a, a Man United supported sporting uh, radio producer after just doing a radio recording. Mm. But um, that was the Balotelli Why Always Me game. Yeah, 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 I remember uh, it very Which well. was the day after he'd set fire to his house by letting fireworks off in his bathroom. Yeah, well, that could happen to anybody. It could. Uh, and there was a, a list on the, on the uh, I think, the BBC website. They, they, they put this list up of games that, that you know, Manchester United's dark days in the Premier League and they're all in October they're all really? October yeah they lost 5-0 to Newcastle in October 96 and then won the title they lost 5-0 to Chelsea in 99 and then won the title they lost 6-1 to City and uh, in 2011 and the the thing that I hadn't realised was that Th- that was they lost the league to City on goal difference at the end of that season, mm-hmm. and if they and if that game had been two one instead of six one, then their records would have been absolutely identical, and there'd have been a playoff. 
Not a toss of the coin. Uh, well, you'd you'd want a toss. You of the would coin, actually you? in that particular instance, you'd love a toss <laughs> of the coin. Would you like to see the crowd turn up for the toss of the coin? <laughs> yeah. That would be a fantastic thing. And uh, yeah, and have it uh, the toss of the coin on match of the day. Yeah. Alan Shearer say, "Oh, he should have called heads." <laughs> yeah. Well, he's, yeah, yeah, he's called heads. He hasn't shown us yet. I've got to say that heads has lost six of the last seven times. <laughs> there was a thing in the paper today saying that nine Manchester United players had approached Antonio Conte to become the new manager. Did you see? Nine they were. Ronaldo, Pogba, Varane, Teles, uh, Fernandes, Martial, Sancho, Greenwood and Rashford. And you went, so how did they approach him? Did they go to his house and shout, oh, Antonio, we need your help. (laughs) I love the idea that Mason Greenwood's one of them. He's 20 years of age. Well, did they knock on his door and go, trick or treat? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. And while we're here, (laughs) since we're here. Like like the idea, it's like the Magnificent Seven, you know, um, know, the villagers call Calling in the, yeah. the gunslinger to come and help them out, but but Mason Greenwood, as I say, is twenty. He's got to phone up Conte and say, "Hello, Mr. Conte, you don't know me. My name's Mason Greenwood, but we're having a lot of trouble in our football club." <laughs> <laughs> and also the cat's done a whoopsie in my beret. Of course, of course. Of course. Can, so, I, can I just give you one fact from yeah. this weekend, which came from my Watford correspondent, uh, Ollie Wicken from Hornet Heaven, which is Watford, who won at Everton yeah. on Saturday. Yes, yes. Did you know, you probably did, uh, that their last five Premier League away wins have all been under different managers. <laughs> Gracia, Sanchez, Flores, Pearson, Munoz and Ranieri. That's staggering, isn't it? Well, Ranieri slid right down the uh, sack race betting, hasn't he? Yes. Two games in, because yeah. he was second favourite after one yeah. After one game. But they look good, actually. And, and Josh King looked like a, a, a Josh King man reborn. He's he, he, well, he's always been good, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, and yeah, it yeah. was a mystery that he didn't score goals when he was at Everton. Yeah. And they didn't really use him very much. Yeah. Well, and talking to, uh, sackings, I mean, obviously, we, we did speak about... Uh, 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 about Steve Bruce last week, but mm. you just you just wonder, you know, Newcastle's new owners, they must have wondered what they've let themselves uh, in for, you know, with the, the lack of process, the summary justice, the baying for blood. <laughs> they, you know, they, they can't have seen that before in Saudi Arabia, can they? <laughs> uh, no, no, they probably... <laughs> but anyway, yeah, what about um, Solskjaer? There was initially, wasn't there, um, a, a determination to keep him um, quite forcefully after, the, after this 5-0, but that seems to have transmuted over the last few days into he's got three games to save his job the Spurs, Atalanta and then City, God help him um, before an international break that would give them a theoretical fortnight to find someone new but then uh, that also includes the the, the the sort of waiver if he loses to Spurs he might be out anyway yeah yeah absolutely I mean the, I mean the good thing is they can keep him in what they call the United family and looking so young he could easily be a ball boy very <laughs> easily, easily. <laughs> I mean the the, the five nil seems to have thrown a bit of a sort of forensic spotlight on how things are set up at Old Trafford doesn't it I mean I had I hadn't quite perceived that Solskjaer himself regards himself as like a general manager more than uh, le- you know leaves the tactical stuff to his to his staff who are who are quite inexperienced apart from Mike Phelan so what does that mean that he does well he's like a figurehead Okay. You know, and you'd, uh, you'd think, you know, the, 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 the assumption always is that, you know, the manager goes in at half time and, and it's his, his, a very important 15 minutes for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to, to right. G yeah, them yeah. up and stuff but like he that. Doesn't do that. But I don't think that that's, that's really his. So he's like, he's like Prince William at the FA. <laughs> yeah, in lots of ways. <laughs> I mean, I, it, it's hard for him. Uh, you know, he's been there for so many years. It's kind of, it's hard to believe he's lost the dressing room. But, you know, all the corridors look the same. 
<laughs> oh my word! <laughs> <laughs> but there's it, I, I, the, the difficulty for Solskjaer is, uh, is this, the, the the hole he's dug for himself really is by buying uh, being allowed to buy so many star players. They've spent four hundred million on star players like you know Varane and Pogba and Fernandes and Maguire mm-hmm. and Ronaldo and these uh, uh, managing these these sort of egos is a different is a different game to trying to g up a bunch of a bunch of lads who are not quite up to it you know what what he's left doing Solskjaer is is shoving them out there to win games by individual brilliance well and and actually if you if you look at the Ferguson model and I'm not sure that that it was necessarily worked out like this he came to success by bringing a load of youth players through mm. who he had absolute control over yeah. rather than, and this had been the United model for years, buying and buying and buying. I mean, United, you know, Gary Birtles, mm. Davenport, Robson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you do wonder if it's, you know, if it's a great, if you haven't had a great deal of success as a manager to then bring in players like that, it must mm. be quite difficult. I don't know if it is difficult, but it seems like it might be. Well, you can see what, watching them that, that, that there are there are players there who are not hiding their dissatisfaction with their with their teammates with how their teammates are playing. Ronaldo is a, is obviously the the most eye catching, mm-hmm. but he's been he's been uh, you know spitting feathers. You can see, and and it was interesting that um, Chiellini said it would have been better if Ronaldo had left Juventus earlier. Yeah, no, Juventus <laughs> really come. I think Juventus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the feeling with Juventus was that they were a team. And then Ronaldo came, and then they weren't a team, and now Ronaldo's gone, and they're a team again. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, they play as an eleven, and rather than trying to funnel everything through Ronaldo and dealing with Ronaldo's dissatisfaction when a ball isn't on a plate or when it isn't, yes, it's yes, not yes, quite yes, yes. happening. And you look at you only need to look at um, Ronaldo. It's showing like open frustration with with Greenwood, who he's supposed to be playing with on the on the the right. I mean, obviously Greenwood's distracted by calling Antonio Conte, yeah, presumably, yeah, yeah, yeah. or thinking about it. But Solskjaer has been um, uh, influenced by by the status of the players. Into you feel bringing Maguire back too early after, after oh, being injured, definitely. Yeah. And he's had a terrible <clears throat> week because he's just not fit. He's clearly not fit, and mm-hmm. he, uh, but he's a star player, and they've spent seventy million on him or whatever. And you feel like oh, well, we need we need him back as soon as possible. He's, too, he's come back too what, soon. And then what does that say to the other players who, who you know, are in your squad to fill in when he's in? To Eric Bailly, for instance. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it, Solskjaer's um, representing a certain continuity, of course, because he's one of Fergie's old favourites. And, and the, the thinking, I think, is that he'd be able to remember what Fergie did and, and then do that. But what Fergie did, I think, was surround himself with, with strong... Um, experienced coaches like McLaren and Carlos Quiroz and yes, yes, Merlinstein yeah, yeah. and yeah. Walter Smith who died this week yeah. um, and uh, Solskjaer hasn't ha- hasn't really uh, done that he's he's kind of got uh, there was Carrick, who's become technical director now somehow. And Fletcher's there there's, now, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, Fletcher's going to step in, <clears throat> I think. Yeah. And um, there's Mike Phelan, but he doesn't really listen to Mike Phelan, apparently. But, but, but the other thing is that, you know, yes, Solskjaer was one of Ferguson's favourites, but not in his first team. No, he was on his bench. <coughs> Generally, exactly, yeah. on his bench, yeah. I mean, there was a great shot of Fergie, wasn't there, And the, while well, the, the calamity was unfolding. You know? mm-hmm. you, 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 they must have a camera fixed on him the whole time, <laughs> hoping he's going to look pleased or, or better, disappointed. You know? mm-hmm. And he never lets you down, does he? He's very expressive. And sooner or later, he's going to pull a face like he did on Sunday, like he's just laid a massive dump, and he's wondering, is that it, or do I have to stick around for more? Mm-hmm. You know. And the camera, they had a camera locked on Dalglish, obviously, as well. Have you never seen him looking so happy? <laughs> 
he well, looked, he, he looked it's like, a low bar. I know, yeah. <laughs> but he looked like Stan Laurel being tickled in Way Out West. <laughs> I mean, it is an era, isn't it, where um, the manager's role, we've said this before, is is stupidly over-important. Mm. And, you know, big matches are are pitched as it's Klopp against Guardiola yeah, and it's yeah, Tuchel yeah. and it's this. And, and the, the top three teams particularly have these superstar managers, these superstar wizard technicians, uh, tacticians. Mm. And Solskjaer just isn't that, is he? He just doesn't seem to be that. And it, and it seems like he doesn't regard himself as that. He doesn't define himself in that way. And he doesn't have that sort of charisma, yeah, that but, sort of... But, but, yes, I agree with you. But it, honestly, for somebody of, of, of our age, for, for me... Apart from the Ferguson years, this is exactly how I remember Manchester United being yeah, yeah, all yeah. the time. Loads and loads of expensive players who aren't really delivering what they ought to do. Yeah, no, it, it, it's true. That's been that's been a, a, a lot of Manchester United's history. And you and you think if they do get rid of Solskjaer, who could they get? Because Ronald Koeman's available, you know. <laughs> yes. And he's got Premier League experience, international status, name recognition, and he's just taken one of the European Super League giants to ninth in the league. He sounds perfect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was probably, I think, a bad week for Paul Pogba to launch his vegan, gender-neutral football boots that he's designed I hadn't with, heard about with it. Stella McCartney, who I'm guessing did most of the heavy lifting. She's like the Scott McTominay of that yeah, yeah, partnership. Yeah, 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 yeah. But this boot is called, <laughs> Christ, the Adidas Predator Freak. Because nothing says vegan like, like the word predator. predator. <laughs> exactly. What is going on there? And what was the other thing? It was non-gender specific. It's, it's, it's their vegan, gender-neutral football It's a general neutral yeah. football boot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, during his brief cameo on Sunday, his gender-neutral vegan boots looked, I have to say, both masculine and carnivorous as they, <laughs> as they made mincemeat out of Nabi Keita's shin. Yeah. I mean, in what sense is it, is it vegan? I mean, people are going to eat these things. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's bad enough when people drink champagne out of boots, like Daniel Ricciardo when he wins a Grand Prix. Yeah, it's, but it's, it, it's just uh, adding a word to something in the hope <laughs> that it makes it different. It's like, you know, you go you come down to London, you see, you know, artisanal bread, and you think, <laughs> well, I don't really know what that is. It's something from the country, yeah. and well, we're in the big city, you know, we're, we're yeah. impressed by that. And, and then one of my favourites I, I often see as I, as I walk down from Houston to do this very programme is uh, bespoke sandwiches. In other <laughs> words, you ask for a sandwich and they give it to you. And they, and they yeah. give it to you, yeah. yeah. They or make it. Not that they stick a bit of a bike in it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Pogba's quote was, it combines my love of football, with, uh, arguably, uh, with my passion for style. Again, arguably. Yeah. Um, like much that happens in the world of fashion, these things completely pass me by. They look horrible. They're like pointy, wedge-shaped, white with bluish splodges on, like a sort of couple of lumps of out-of-date Stilton. Is he a vegan? I don't think you have to be to wear the boots. I suppose you not. Know. No, it's a broad church. Anyway, let's leave Manchester United <coughs> to one side temporarily. And go to David Beckham. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do David Beckham in a minute. I mean, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia picked up its first point in the Premier League on Saturday they away did. at Crystal Palace. And they celebrated by <laughs> announcing a U-turn. Yes. And I bet Steve Bruce's ears pricked up when he heard that. <laughs> Having asked fans to refrain from wearing traditional Arabic clothing or Middle East-inspired head coverings for fear of causing offence they reversed or rather clarified yeah, uh, their position yeah, yeah, yeah. saying that fans should feel free to welcome their new overlords by going right ahead and mocking their funny yeah, ways you, you say that chris you see what <laughs> i'm thinking is here we have the calming influence of you know your geordie army 
they've already <laughs> persuaded this Saudi Arabian cabal to overturn their beliefs on tea towels. Next okay. thing you know, it's going to be women's rights, it's LGBT, good. thank you very much. And the world will be a happier place. That's right, and, and Saudi Arabia will be like the big market. <laughs> Now, this um, club statement said um, those who wish to support the club by wearing appropriate culturally inspired clothing should feel free to do so as they see fit. We're inclusive to all. Uh, Newcastle United FC and its new owners continue to support the Premier League's initiatives on diversity and inclusion, including no room for racism. Now, why would you say that yeah, yeah. if the tea towel thing wasn't at least on the dangerous edge of being racist? Yes. And isn't it, isn't it a wonderful thing when you know a, a group of strangers allow you to wear what you want. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> What's it oh. got to do with them? Well, it's I got don't... nothing to do with them, what you're but wearing. You, but do you not think that they should have waited? They should have waited for this approval before they did it in the first place. I suppose place. so. I suppose so. I mean, I, uh, one thing, though, it's great news for tea towel sellers across the Tyneside area, mm-hmm. especially, I imagine, those guys who knock on your door with a tray of shit they've got from a pan store. It must be like Christmas for them. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. gets earlier every year, doesn't it? It's mm-hmm. like their last minute nativity play costume bonanza come early. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> There's loads of kids going to primary school and they're saying, but where's my, where's my my shepherd's outfit. It's my bloody shepherd's <laughs> outfit. Never mind you. I'm off the game. <laughs> and you know, those guys, you buy one overpriced thing from him because he looks a bit malnourished and as though he might stab you for a biscuit. And ever after that, it's like you're on some sort of mugs list, isn't it? Yeah, 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 see yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. You notice more and more of them coming to your door and not to your next door neighbour. Oh no, 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 they skip straight off to the next mug who lives maybe ten yeah, doors yeah. down. Why they put those chalk marks, don't they, on the gateway? Do they? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. time is money in the door-to-door Middle East-inspired head-covering flogging business. Absolutely, of course it is. Of course it is. And speaking, as we were, of morally questionable financial alliances, David Beckham, mm-hmm. as you alluded to a moment ago, the former pant model and part owner of Salford City, long ago dubbed Golden Balls, mm-hmm. um, has become, of all things, an ambassador for the Qatar World Cup. Mm-hmm. Mystifyingly, this is a ten-year deal for fifteen million a year, yeah. and the tournament is a year away. What's he going to do for the other nine years? You know, bang on about how great it was. Is that really worth fifteen well, million a year to anyone? They must be expecting a hell of a lot of fallout that's yeah. going to need smoothing over with a gently smiling face and a soft cockney accent. Yes, definitely. Talk about how it's going to be great for a year. Go to some games. Talk about how great it was for another nine years. One hundred and fifty million smackers. Job done. Well, most of the stuff I read about it was was. Uh, Fairly heavily critical of David Beckham's uh, <laughs> moral choices. But there was one article, which presumably somebody had, had, had really lent on them, um, which said, no, it's good because David's already got them to agree that they're allowed to have rainbow flags at the game. Yeah. And also, don't, this is almost a quote, don't forget he's married to Victoria Beckham and she was part of the instigator of girl power. <laughs> so you see, that kind of makes an all right. And you've got to remember Qatar... Uh, well, one, I think it's terrible that they're picking on David Beckham when they should just be picked on anyway, Qatar, mm. from the moment they got oh, the yeah, World yeah, Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they've got racism, they've got homophobia, they've got misogyny. Heaven knows this is a country that employed Andy Gray and Richard Keyes. <laughs> ah, and save them from the scrap heap. Yes, so, it you know, did. Yeah, yeah, which is even worse. But, <laughs> but no, Qatar have a horrible record on human rights, and so many migrant workers have been killed constructing the stadium. Have you, died, uh, I think. Uh, uh, okay, have just died <laughs> um, constructing the, spe- the stadium that, as you pointed out last time, were designed Albert by Albert Speer, yes. Junior. <laughs> and homosexuality is illegal there, much as it was in original Albert Speer's day. And uh, the LGBT plus community is very upset because. 
Beckham apparently is a gay icon. Well, exactly. Because of the pants. Well, exactly so. Now, it said, said one of the articles that I read, that it's possible in Qatar to be thrown in jail for looking like you could be gay. <laughs> Which seems to me, I can't imagine how that law is worded. Uh, and also, you can imagine David turns up in his sarong, he might be in trouble he there. Might be in trouble, Not yeah. that I'm making any generalisations. Well, he's supposed to have got assurances, isn't he, that um, no one's going to be persecuted during the World Cup for, yeah. for being gay. Yeah. Or as you say, looking a little bit gay. Yeah. You know. Well, you can imagine somebody about to do some persecuting and somebody just shouts out, remember David Beckham? They go, oh, sorry, entirely my mistake. Or they just go, golden balls. Yeah. You know, that's <laughs> going to solve it, isn't it? There's a, there's, what I loved about, about his trip last week, because this is how it all came out, that it was described as a fact-finding mission, <laughs> which I thought was a great thing for David Beckham to go on. And you can imagine Victoria Fennel going, David, hello, it's Victoria, how's your fact-finding mission going? And David goes, oh, four. it's been brilliant. <laughs> did you know, Victoria, did you know a dolphin isn't even a fish? Did you know that? And the battle of Mag- the Carter was at lunchtime about 12.15. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cash finding mission more like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing about old Golden Balls is he's, as we know, he's a skilled propagandist in his own right. You, you, we were talking the other week about that fever pitch thing, the, the propaganda yeah, yeah, yeah. documentary made by his company about the Premier League, which featured shots of him smiling enigmatically like a model in sort of expensive looking locations, but not actually saying anything at all no. just smiling like oh the Premier League was good wasn't it mm. and, and and all being subtextual in that little half smile but he's but is he not he's like the silent movie star whose voice is ridiculous who then does one or two films oh, in the yeah. talkie era but never John actually Garfield. says it it's there cool. you go yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's one of do you know that the, well, the reason that he has a link with Qatar is because obviously he played for Paris Saint-Germain and became very good friends with uh, Nasser Al-Khalifi yeah. who was the man by the way who employed uh, Richard Keyes and Andy Gray um, <laughs> but it was there was a very good phrase. There are many charges yeah. on the list. Yeah, it was a very good <laughs> phrase that I read, which was like like something from a, a Famous Five uh, novel, which said that him, David Beckham, and Nasser Al Khalifi had been seen laughing together. <laughs> and I like that they're going. Ah! <laughs> it's an a diabolical laughter. <laughs> Well, yeah, and Beckham, of course, was was implicated in a negative way, you know, with his uh, his the power of his of his uh, brand by failing to bring the World Cup here yeah. during the same shonky bidding process that took it to Qatar in the first place, yep. Yep. Uh, because Sepp Blatter lumped the two together, as we've discussed already, the 2018 process and the 2022 process, because he was worried that he might die before he was able to cash in and milk the world of football one last time, and yet he's still alive. So that's another thing mm-hmm. he got wrong, like the ladies playing in hot pants thing. <laughs> but yes. Beckham's global icon status was, you know, not not able to, not up to, and possibly dragged down by being attached to Prince William and David Cameron. I, I don't understand what you're saying. Remember, he's married to Victoria Beckham, <laughs> and she started girl power. She started girl power. Yeah, there should be more girl power involved in the World Cups. So there's, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Anyway, so several times since we started doing this thing, whatever it is, uh, we've discussed the business of. Uh, marginal gains. We have football exploring ways to take very small advantages, you know, baby steps forward. Last week we talked <laughs> about the gloriously named Soccerbot 360, the all-round system for replaying match situations to improve scanning and spatial awareness that was being pioneered at Norwich. And 
you have to say it didn't seem to help them on Saturday against Chelsea. Maybe they had the whole thing set up uh, yeah. all week to Lukaku mode and they overlooked the threat of, you know, everyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe it was when the pictures turned into actual real opposition players, the Norwich lads were confused. Well, you've got to think yeah. that the people who manufactured the Soccer Bot 360 were a bit gutted on Saturday. A bit gutted, yeah, because <laughs> it had come out and then the next, the very next. <laughs> but all the players, you know, in the, in the game looking for the, how many lives do I get? Can I, can I respawn? Yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And we've mentioned uh, the emphasis on statistical analysis at, at Brentford, the so-called Moneyball thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the specialist throw-in coach at Liverpool, yeah, Thomas yeah. Gronemark, who they got from Brentford. And many clubs now have set-piece coaches, or restart coaches, as they sometimes style themselves. Oh, well, now there's a new specialist coach on the block. It's quite interesting, I think, down at AFC Wimbledon. And his name is Sammy Lander, and he's a substitution coach. That's and as he says... One of these guys could be your match winner. Now, he came up with this notion himself, apparently, and as part of his pitch to persuade the AFC Wimbledon manager to take a punt, he analysed the behaviour of the England subs at the Euro final against Italy. And obviously this is an extreme example, given that the, the, the two subs who came on, Rashford and Sancho, came on specifically to take penalties in the shootout. But he points out that they were, they were out warming up for about 11 minutes, mm. not jogging up and down the touchline, just walking. Mm-hmm. For about seven minutes, they were just stood still. Mm-hmm. They did a couple of minutes of groin stretches, and then for about a minute, they sat down. Yeah. And so he's wondering whether they were physically prepared to enter such an intense game of football. Yeah, the funny thing is, you know, it's, it's ridiculous, but actually, that's kind of a really sensible thing. Kind isn't of it? is, and, and you know, the, the more you, uh, what, one of the things that's interesting about this is what the AFC Wimbledon manager thinks about it, which we'll come to in a moment, but. Um, it's it's where he thinks he can add value by getting players technically, physically, and mentally ready to enter a game, yeah. creating um, finishes like super subs in effect. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, yeah. We've known, uh, you know, historically in football, all the way back to you know David Fairclough, yeah, yeah. that there are players who are who are temperamentally disposed to to yeah. do well coming on into well, a game. All the way back to Keith Peacock, the very first substitute. <laughs> and you know, sometimes you, you know the the notion of bringing on a, a speedy player against tired defenders, yeah. you know, it makes a lot of it makes a lot of sense. It's what the difficult thing is persuading the player that that's that's the role they should be yeah. aiming aiming to fill. You know, but they. I mean, the professional game is, is definitely a step ahead already of the amateur game in terms mm. of the substitutes. I mean, um, you very rarely try to bring a player on and he's back in the change room having a piss. That very rarely <laughs> happens in the professional game. I uh, think it hasn't not happened. Oh, no, it hasn't well, so not happened. Eric Dyer yeah, go for a shit he, he went off during a game. He was already on. <laughs> and didn't someone... Who was the manager then? Followed him in and said, are you, are you all right? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm hoping it was Mourinho. And, now. and they've but got less. Know. They've got less to think about than they used to. They don't have to uh, do the oranges at half time, for instance. No, but do they? I, I think I think it would be a step forward in substitute world if they had the bloody kit on. You know, yeah. if they if they were sat there with the shirt on, ready to, you'd feel ready to play then, yeah. wouldn't you? Well, you know, in 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 rugby, they they, they they quite often they're on exercise bikes and things like that. Yeah. You know, they're actually genuinely warming up rather than a hamstring. It's like all the substitutes are terrified yeah. of hamstring injuries. Yeah, but what uh, what um, this guy Sammy Lander says is, you know, that what he could have done, what could have happened with Rashford and Sancho is, you know, if the, if 
he'd known that this was going to be a thing, that they were going to come on and take a penalty. F- with five minutes to go, you take him into, into a room and, and have them take, take some pen- kicks. Yeah, 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 so, that the, so that it's not like the first kick that, they, that they've that, taken in the And that's in the another afternoon. thing that always baffles me is when, I mean, obviously, clearly, there are far too many substitutes apart from anything else. Well, but, they just announced that they're going to be more, aren't they? They're going to be going to go back up to five in the... In the oh, uh, in, out in of... Uh, out of a benchful, five yeah. out of seven, I think. Yeah, I don't know what a benchful I mean, is. It's they, not they have... a real number, a benchful, is no, it? No, no, it's no. Just, it's like, uh... but, they, but they tend to at half time, they'll go in and then they leave the subs out to muck about on the pitch. Yeah. You know, and it, it, it's only because the pitches are so good now, nobody's coming out going, not in the goal mouth! Come out of <laughs> the goal mouth! <laughs> or that they have to come out with those little forks. To yeah, put yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is what Sammy Lander is talking about. He described a picture of Manchester United's bench the other way. Not that we're picking on Manchester United particularly, but the, uh, well, well, there we are. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. but there were six or seven players and they're slumped over, their arms folded, the hoods up. You know, you have to. he has to first combat the negative of association with being on the bench in the first place yeah 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 no but it, it doesn't have to be man united we've all seen those shots guys who are visibly bristling with resentment yeah. at being at being on the bench yeah. and they haven't got over it halfway uh, yeah. through the game and on their phone or laughing together yeah yeah and he tries to engage players during the game trying to talk to them about what their opposite number is doing or the or the guy they might have to replace yeah, yeah. and try to spot things they can they can exploit yeah. you know and, and one of the things i thought was interesting was that the AFC Wimbledon's manager, Mark Robinson, has got this. This is a trial period for this thing. Right. And he's in two minds about it. On the one hand, it seems to make the players feel more valued, especially if they're worried about not starting. Yeah. No, but on the other hand, he quite reasonably believes that players ought to be grown up and professional enough to take responsibility for being properly prepared themselves. Well, so the goal ought to be. Re- I mean, clearly he's a dreamer. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a real step, isn't it, into the unknown, to tell you the honest truth? <laughs> that's ridiculous. I mean, the, the other thing, I mean, you wonder, you know, I, th- I quite like this idea, I have to say. Yeah, I quite you like You know, it. I mean, you, you could ch- you know, train them up to speak behind their hand, which is another thing that's... It's another skill that some, skill some of them just don't have. They don't have it. You know, you yeah. see them there, mouths wide open, <laughs> slagging people off, saying, you know, come on, boss, give me a go. That's not right. That's not what a substitute should do. No, and, and when Ronaldo was a sub, he spent more time in the technical area shouting instructions than Solskjaer did, didn't he? So he's clearly engaged. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I sense, you know, that he's uh, a manager of the month award in the offing. I would have thought so. I would have thought so. So what else do we think they could have? I mean, presumably uh, demanding a yellow card coach, uh, claiming a corner (laughs) in ridiculous circumstances coach, getting off the bus holding a little handbag coach. These are the sort of things that need to be coached. They're skills and they need to be done right. They need to be done right. They need to be done right and and it's a question of of training the muscle memory so that that's all. That's right. If you you brought Dave Brailsford in, these things would be done, (laughs) would they not? They would. Um, Well, and the drug thing. I mean, I think I've long thought that in international football, when you have big squads, international uh, tournament football is like a 14 man, 16 man game, depending on how many subs there are. 16 man, let's say. Um, And sub. In that in that situation, should be a specialist position, not necessarily some you know oh, someone that we've uh, uh, to make a like for like no, no, thing, no. someone that you can use to make a tactical change. And and the, I've always thought that that was the the great reason for having someone like 
say Peter Crouch if he wasn't in yeah, your yeah. if he wasn't but, your first choice or Andy Carroll no, yeah, you know, no, wasn't your first choice striker but, but can change very everything. different to what you had absolutely you know. and this this is is it not for those of us again old enough <laughs> which I'm going to presume is everybody um, <laughs> this is this Hello, was the why nice why yeah why don't they uh, why didn't they bring Dave Besant on for the penalties in the 1990 <laughs> World Cup semi final you know Shilton had a terrible record saving penalties Dave Besant had a great record and a great but, record but yeah, things yeah. like and that. that worked didn't it that Tim Krull um, it did work for Tim Krull did they ever it, tell you I played uh, five aside against Dave Besson not against with Dave Besson one time in a in a one of those tournaments at, where you get given a, 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 a it was a charity thing you get given a pro to yeah. play with your team yeah. and Andy Smart was playing as well yeah. and we got Dave Be- we got to the final we got Dave Besant yeah. <laughs> and he was and he, they wouldn't let him play in goal because it wouldn't be fair so he's playing outfield yeah, yeah. and this game was 15-20 minutes and it was 1-1 and Dave Besant's standing next to me and he says what happens if this is a draw and I said oh, I don't know extra time I think because it was the final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Extra time, I think. And he went, oh, fuck that. <laughs> and he stepped away from me, took the ball off whoever had it, beat all the other players and <laughs> scored a goal. And it was like he could have done that at any, any minute. Time. Yeah, yeah, at yeah, any yeah, moment. <laughs> and if you, if you won the tournament, did you get to keep your professional? <laughs> we get to that keep would be a lovely thing. Anyway, we need to take a break now because in a moment we have our guest. Lovely. Our guest today is responsible for some of my absolute favourite visits to the world's football grounds, John O'Groats and indeed East Africa. A passionate, (laughs) uncompromising and incredibly successful manager who hasn't always been appreciated as much as he should. The go-to figure if you want to avoid relegation, transform your fortunes or increase the sale of merchandise in the club shop. It's Mr Tony, Anthony Tony Pulis. Nick. I shouldn't call you Anthony because of course your son is traditionally Anthony. Oh no, I'm an Anthony. Oh, you're Anthony. Oh yeah, oh, mum wouldn't have no other word. When I started courting Debbie, you know, Debbie called me Tony, and she'd um, she'd pick Debbie up on it. And call you Tony. Oh, your mum would. Yeah, yeah. mum would. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your Tony for yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to ask you. It's it's quite a cliched question, but I'm I'm always interested, and we generally get the same answer. But I'd be interested on your perspective on it. So, what would you choose, playing or managing? I'll play in it Everybody. every minute. Yeah, yeah. Every minute of the day, I think playing is, um, you know, management and coaching is secondary by a a country mile to playing. So you stand on the touchline and think, you still want to be out there. No, no, you you move on, don't you? Time moves on and you have to move on. If you want to be in this wonderful game that we've been in and been very fortunate to... Well, I've been in it for a long, long time and been very fortunate. You know, it's the next step. Mm -hmm. So you want to stay in it, so you take the next step. Mm -hmm. But playing is by far, Nick, the... The best of it all, and when, what are your what are your? I mean, first of all, who, you, as a youngster, because you went to, to Bristol, did you as a youngster? Yeah, I went to Bristol Rovers. I used to go and watch Newport and right. Cardiff. Um, you know, we used to jump on the train from um, from Newport. It was one stop to Cardiff, Ninian Park. You went to Ninian Park yeah, yeah, and yeah. The, the train and jump off and then try and nick off Nick. We'd we'd never pay for it. You know, yeah. it was about six or seven of us, and then we'd go. Um, and try and get in the Grange end. If I can remember right, we go right round the back where there was a reen, jump over the reen, and there was some uh, corrugated iron fencing that we used to pull apart oh, and nick in. And the yeah. money we'd been given by mum to go in, you, we'd buy a hot dog or yeah, a burger yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, you've reimbursed Cardiff. Of course. Since that. Yeah, I just wanted you to get that absolutely, <laughs> absolutely clear. And who, tell me, who were the, who were the players that... that, that 
that stimulated you as a youngster. Well, Tos- Tossack was there then. Of course. Yeah, course yeah, been, yeah, I know. It's years ago. Um, nobody listening to this is going to remember that, Nick, apart from me and you. Um, yeah, Tossack, the little lad Gibson in midfield. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it was, they were a good team. They just missed out. They actually sold Tosh to Liverpool and then brought Alan Warboys in. Did they? Uh, yeah. Warboys and Bannister? No, that was Bristol Rovers. No, Rose. I know, but Smashing uh, yeah, Grab, yeah, that was yeah, what they were yeah. called, wasn't so it? They, you know, so there was a... Yeah, it was good there. Newport were different. Newport were in a lower league, obviously, and at a different level. But you know, there was still. I'd still go over there, and if we could, uh, you know, if we could get in, then we'd go and watch, you know, the yeah. county. And, this, well. and that was obviously just a little bit before the Great Cup winners' Cup run that they had with Aldridge oh, yeah. and Tynan and all yes. those. You'd yeah. have been playing, then, yeah. presumably. Yeah, no, well, I was playing, but I never played in the team then. But they had a really good, good team then. Yeah, very, yeah. very good team. Yeah. yeah. So about about management. So. You go to Bournemouth. Yeah. You finish playing at Bournemouth. Yeah. Um, well, what happened was I went to Bournemouth uh, with Harry. Um, I think it was three years with H, and then I went to Gillingham and played a year at Gillingham. Did you? But I had a, a, a real uh, bad injury, um, uh, and then Harry brought me back as a coach. So I went back to Bournemouth as a coach, and then uh, coach or, or worked under him for a year, and then took the manager's job. That was '92, I think, the first manager's job. Okay. So that was a long time ago. Okay. So, so I went from playing to coaching. So that was just after management. the, the yeah. famous FA Cup win. Was you, yeah, no, yeah. no, no. H was that was that was a couple of years before we yeah, got yeah. there. I, I think um, we uh, that was eight. I went in eighty six, eighty seven. We actually won the league that year. Mm-hmm. Um, so they got into the championship for the first time for a long, long time. Um, but. Yeah, if you want to spend a couple of hours talking about Harry, then you know, <laughs> I, I've more than enough stories. <laughs> now, what I really want to ask you about was your, your managerial style. And, and you know, I know, and it's such a cliche to say you're a family, but I know family man, but I know how important family is to you and and how close you are and how, how protective you feel about them. But it always seemed to me when you were at Stoke that one of the things that you tried to engender was that same sense of, of loyalty as a as a group um and and i i I just wanted to know would you put that ahead of everything well you go back to you know your young years when you you, you've been you know talking about um school time and primary school and secondary school i was brought up down the docks in south wales um it was a very very close-knit community you know every everything that people have forgot about happened there you know people work were together you know, you live next door. That most of the families in our street in Dolphin Street, you know, there was a three-bedroom terraced house. There was eight of us living in there. Four boys in one room, the two girls in the in, in the other room, and mum and dad in the box room. And that was the same for most of the people in that street. When you know, people used to have big families. If you run out of milk, you'd knock next door, and you know, you'd borrow half a pint of milk off the neighbour. And if something happened next door, or, or one of the neighbours fell on hard times, you'd look after them. Mm-hmm. It, it, they wouldn't be left, Nick. They'd be, they'd be looked after. So that community, that togetherness, right from a young age, was was inbred, really. And that's what you know, like I say, South Wales. Obviously, with a my dad worked in the steelworks, with the mines and the steelworks. Everybody, you know, it, it was tough mm-hmm. and it was hard. But I thought I had a wonderful time. It's only when you move away from it, you look back and you think. God blimey, did I live through that? <laughs> yeah. But at the time, Nick, I thought it was wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I took a lot of, I think a lot of my DNA really was was um, was grown in in that period mm. up until I left to go to Bristol. So do you think that that uh, that reflects in? 
people not liking people who don't pull their weight, expecting people to 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 show up for other people, you know, to cover them if you like, literally on the pitch. I, or, I just or think, or I just, like I say, I just think everything. The, the community was a community. It was a it was a very very working class area. You know, we had the you know the the, the uh, um, trains coming down from the docks at the bottom of our street. Um, bringing the coal down to the docks. We had the steelworks two streets away. My father never, ever drove a car. He was always on a push bike all the way through our lives, so we never had any of that. Um, it, it just... You had nothing, Nick, but you had everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, never, ever, ever thought that I was short of anything in my life as a kid. And how do you think that transfers then into your management style when you when you're trying to shape a group of players yeah. and you want them to all be pulling in the same direction and you you know what you want of them i i put, I put that over everything else yeah. i think i think trying to make a football club a family trying to bring everybody together as a family whether you know that you bring the wives in and get the wives involved to get the children involved but making sure that every everybody appreciates your management and i think what you've got to do uh, as a manager, you know, you, it's a very lonely job at times. Yeah. And what you've got to do, you've got to convince those players that what you're saying, what you're doing and the way you're working will lead to success. And to do that, you have to, you definitely have to drop lots of um, rules down um, and set targets and set standards. And if the players stay, stay in, in that, um, you know, in that set of rules, and aspire to the standards you're looking for, brilliant. If they don't, you have to get rid of them. Right. Because if you want to be successful, you can't be carrying too many people around. Yeah. No, well, you must be also uh, managing um, players who, as you say, you've had a, you've had a, a, a particular uh, working class upbringing yourself at, at the docks and and so on, and your dad on the push bike. Yeah, you know. But you're dealing with young men who 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 are getting a lot very young are, yeah. are, are, are lifted out of that if you like yeah. very young so you mean you have to you have to i suppose uh, be prepared to uh, make sure that they that they understand uh, that well that I, the world I, doesn't revolve yeah, around I, them I, do you know what i mean yeah and i think if, what they're told from yeah i think if you age. look at it when i started management at, at bournemouth in 92 the players wages and the managers wage, wages were very very close to the working class person outside of football <laughs> You know the extreme now. It's it's just you know professional footballers, you know Premier League players, Championship players. They live in a bubble. It's it's just a complete and utter bubble. They're not they're not aware of what happens outside that bubble. Of the value of things. Uh, yeah. Of the value uh, well, of the value yeah, system that yeah, you're trying to put yeah. together. And, um, I think it's it's very very important that you, if you don't manage, you know the you know the, every everything moves on. Society moves on, and if you don't manage at the level of society and the way it is, then you're going to fall down because mm-hmm. you'll end up having argument after argument after. Mm-hmm. So you have to give and take a little bit more, and you have to, you have to, under- it, you yeah. have to understand where it's going, mm-hmm. and you have to manage around that. But there's certain principles I've never ever moved away from, and, and never will move away from. I understand, you know, all the problems and all all the stuff that social media has brought. Um, you know, to the game in respect of individually with players, mm-hmm. the criticism managers get, with the criticism the chairman or the, the clubs will get if the results are not good. You have to understand that. You have to accept it because it's life. Um, but you have to deal with it, and it's and, harder to ignore that sort and, of level yeah, of, of I, contact. I, I, isn't yeah, it? I just think that um, if you want to be in the game and you want to be part of it, then and especially at the, the top level where the rewards are just extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Then you've you've got you know people you've got to accept that criticism. I think I think there's a limit, and there's, there's it certainly 
it has to be managed better than what it is at the moment. I think mm-hmm. the, the the you know some of the stuff on the social media is totally unacceptable. Um, but we can't change that within football. That's got to be the government. That's got to be the people who run the sites and the government have got to change and that. Education. We can. And education. <laughs> and education. But, but, yeah, but even so with education, personal, Nick, I think, you know, it's like talking about rules and, and, yeah, and you yeah. set your rules and if people break those rules, they've got to be punished. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, that, and that, that actually, I think, is what we're not doing at the moment and what mm-hmm. we have to do. Yeah. Um, just, just uh, we were talking about Don Goodman in the other week, and we were talking about um, about the key performance indicators and all those sorts of things. Um, you know the way that Can players you explain are... that to me. <laughs> yeah, well, no, <laughs> we were talking about it. We didn't understand it <laughs> as, as, as with nearly everything we talk about. Um, but uh, we were talking about you know signing players, and of course, there's one question there anyway, which is how much autonomy do managers have over signing players? And that's changing. But the other thing is, I know you, you've you said to me before about, you know, it's important to know what a player is going to be like in the dressing room. Yep. Now, the key performance indicators, that's easy to understand how you can find that. When you're looking at a player, how do you find out what you need to know about them as a person and how you imagine they'll be in the dressing room. Well, I think if if you spend if you spend enough time, and I was lucky enough and fortunate to be at Stoke for a long time, what you do, you bring in characters who, who are building blocks. So they, they, they make everything around the football club solid. Yeah. And then you can bring one or two Herberts in if you need, who are gonna <laughs> who are gonna improve it and give it a little bit more quality along the yeah. way. But what you must never do is go away from having that rock solid backbone of a football yeah. club. You if you do that yeah. and you bring more of the other type in, then yeah. the castle falls down yeah, yeah, with, yeah. without a question of a you, doubt. You, so you've got you've got to build a structure with good people. You know, life, the longer you go on in life and the longer, you know, I, the older I get, you understand that life's about good people. Uh-huh. Forget all the, the the rest of the stuff that flies around. Yeah, yeah. If you're dealing and being around good people, you know, you, you'll enjoy your life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So is it, would it be difficult, do you think, to uh, to take over a, a, a job with, with the style that, uh, that you have and the priorities that you have, a job where you're, you're like just the head coach and you're presented with a group of well, players? Well, I, th- I, th- I think the game's changed and you have to accept now everybody's got, um, you know, have, have got uh, directors of football or, or chief scouts or this, that and the other. The only thing I'd say is that if you've got these directors of football and you've got these people picking football, picking players if the results don't go and the manager gets back a sack then that fella should go with the manager I think it'd certainly liven him up a bit it'd certainly liven him up a bit if if the results are not good enough and the manager gets a sack and then he goes that that would change everything that's the situation at the club the club that I follow is Oldham Oldham Athletic and at the moment they've got the uh, the owner uh, the owner's brother is the sporting director, and yeah. so the managers carry the can all the time because he's not going to sack his older brother. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, and it's yeah. not it's not an ideal situation. And we had a situation at Stoke, uh, and I'm not saying this is definitely what happened, but we played uh, Shrewsbury Town in the cup, and Gary Rowett was under a lot of pressure, and he wasn't being moved, and. Then there was suddenly a song about getting rid of the chief executive, and Gary Rout went the next week. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that, that's what I mean. I, I, I just think that, that you know, there's there's, cer- there's certain things that um, I think have to come into football. I think there's a there a lot of young managers now coming into the game, and it's management is so difficult, and it's more difficult now than it's ever been. 
I always wanted more experienced people with me. I had Jerry Francis, yeah. Kempe, people like that. Peter who, who Reed. Were, yeah, really. Always, they, they were more experienced than me, older than me. And I always, I was more comfortable with people who'd seen things before. You know, it took me three meetings to get Jerry to come to Stoke when we got promoted. But he was absolutely, he was vital to us because he's, he'd experienced it. He'd understood. And although he only came in two days a week and watched the game on a Saturday, you know, his input was massive. Kempe had worked at Wimbledon. You know, he'd worked at Crystal Palace. He, he knew all about the Premier League. I didn't. So to have those people around you, if you have a look at it today, I think managers or, or coaches now, it's not managers, coaches come in and they're almost given people, yeah. you know, to, to work with. And, mm-hmm. and if I was a young coach today and given the opportunities to manage the Premier League, would I get a younger coach in? No, I'd get someone in who would manage up. Because yeah. I think managing up now is more important than managing or, or having a coach who can mm. work on the pitch for you. To, to, so just to ask, I mean, to, just to go back to the dressing room thing, and we, I accept you do not want a Herbert-heavy <laughs> dressing room, do you? You want a Herbert-light dressing room. But what, I mean, what, what are some of the more um, disappointing, uh, appalling, shocking... Um, Herbert just Yeah. You know, that's just the name I use. I don't, I'm not, I'm no, not no, being no. disrespectful no, to not people. But, but I think the... You know, I think there's a... There's a again, it, it's talking about building a football club and there's people you'd give... You know, that long-term contracts to um, who you know, their characters are, are, are spot on and week in, week out, irrespective of how the results are going to go, they're going to stand up for you. And, you know, Alex Stock used to say um, when I was just a young kid, when you stood at that door and those players were walking out of the dressing room to play a game of football, you want to be looking at men, not boys. Mm-hmm. And that always stuck with me. Um, but you can have you can have one or two players. And I used to say they're players maybe two or three windows worth. Mm-hmm. And then once you've had them for two or three windows, your effect will drop off. It's like that, you know, shouting at people all the time or the dog barking at you. Yeah, Eventually, yeah. it drops off. So you use them and get them out. The ones like, uh, the ones we're talking about, Shawcross, the Lap, Walters, people like that, and I could name loads, Houthi, yeah. uh, 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 Stoke, they don't move. You keep them there, whatever yeah. happens, and irrespective of because who comes the in from. Of your... Well, they, they just—they <clears throat> are where the club wants to be. Yeah, they, they, and, yeah. and they, and they, you know, you can fill it, you can fill it up with, you know, Matty Etherington was fabulous. He yeah, was yeah, one of yeah. my favourite players. Pennant was a two-three window player. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, he could come in Jermaine and he could do stuff that we couldn't do, but over a period of time you it would wear off and that was Jermaine's that was Jermaine's that was Jermaine's character yeah. that was yeah. his, his 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 character nothing else yeah, yeah. and he was good, you know he was good for us when we were at Stoke yeah. so that you know it's you know it's building a picture mm-hmm. of a group of players who can go out and win football matches mm-hmm. you know p- people ring me up today or, or young managers you know about philosophies and this that and the other and I say yeah yeah brilliant absolutely fabulous but don't forget one thing. If you don't win football matches, irrespective of your philo- philosophy is, you ain't going to be around long. No, no, no. And that was Alex Stock, was it, who said uh, you want to be looking at men, not boys? Yeah, Alex. No. Alex good, good advice for yeah, the internet When I was a young lad at Bournemouth, I was name. I, um, he was in an old, old age people's home at, at the bottom of the road in Wimborne. I used to pop in once or twice a week just to see him. Alex Stock? Yeah, oh, and right. he had he had a greenhouse. They'd built him a greenhouse. And Alex had been in um, 
uh, El Alamein. He'd fought with Montgomery really? and everything else. So he was a very upstanding <coughs> fella. Always had a tie on, you know, really old-fashioned, you know, British type person and he used to come out with some gems absolute gems and yeah yeah that was one of his um one of his uh ones like, like wasn't him. he the the prototype of paul whitehouse's ron manager character but he was so fa- he was a, for goalposts yeah he, he was an absolute <laughs> fabulous 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 man yeah, and yeah. great standards you know really really great standards and just to you you said you're talking about britishness there and and, and the, the way that the the English leagues work. Um, when foreign managers come in, it's quite different. You told me, and you might even not remember this, a, an incredible story about Louis van Gaal talking to you after you'd won at Old Trafford with West Brom. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I got on with most of the foreign managers. I used to have a... Um, oh, Wenger was, a, you know, he, he was a little bit tetchy, but that was because we always beat him at the Britannia. <laughs> yeah. And even when I went to West Brom and Palace, I think we beat Arsenal. So we yeah. had something over... I, Managed to have something over at Arson. Uh, the rest of them are, 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 are really, really good people. Um, and I've found them interesting. Um, and I've found them um, very outgoing in a lot of ways, Nick. Um, but I think the game, again, you talk about the change. The game's changed in respect. There's a lot of foreign owners now. And with foreign owners come foreign agents. And foreign agents will know foreign managers or foreign coaches more than they'll know English coaches. I think the, the one great sadness for me um, when you, well, there's two things. Um, is the fact that you know that, that managers can do well in the lower leagues now, and not get the recognition. Yeah. And unless they get a team promoted, they're going to be very, very lucky. Unless you're a name, you know. Frank did it at uh, at Derby and and got the Chelsea job on the back of what he'd done as a player at at Chelsea. So unless you're doing that, then I, I think that, you know that the, the that avenue, that pathway um, to managing. We talked about Jim Smith and. Ron Atkinson and people like that who never played at the top level no. but got their chance of working at mm-hmm. the top level because they'd managed so well down. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's unfortunately, that's gone away. But in terms of the competitiveness of the Premier League, I think Van Hal was was amazed when, when you went there with West Yeah, I, 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 no, his, his, his big thing was that he didn't find one game in the Premier League easy. He thought every team, where as abroad... You could play. You could play in Dutch football. You could play in other football, and you could go to places and know we're going to win. And he said, in England, every game that we play, every challenge that's put in front of us is a proper challenge, mm-hmm. and you can you you can't take that away from this league. Mm-hmm. And that and that's why, you know, it's uh, it's great viewing Nick and why it, why it's the greatest league in the world. Mm-hmm. But was he quite exasperated by that? Uh, yeah, he was saying it through um, clenched, clenched teeth. teeth. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but no, you know, like, like I say, Nick, he, you know, he obviously he's been a top manager and he's worked with some fabulous coaches, yeah. uh, players, sorry. And um, I'm thinking of Ricardo Fuller, but there must be other players like that. And you were talking about as long as you have your building blocks, you can have people around it. The, the, the decoration, if you like, there's the side yeah. orders, whatever yeah. you want. Um and I know sometimes you you found managing players like that frustrating, but you appreciate what they give to you. And which which players would you put in that that category? Well, Ricardo was the worst uh, <laughs> by a country mile. You know, he, he was you know one of the best players. We signed him for two hundred grand from Southampton, um, and you know, we signed him on the back of him having a dodgy knee as well. He walked in, he limped into the the ground when we signed him, but he was just an amazing player. He was. Um, he was a player who could do something. Um, 
out and or create something out of nothing. And I'm, I'm me and Kemp, Kempy's coming over tomorrow from America. David Kemp, who was my assistant. And I don't know any... Well, Kempy always says, I'd love a pound for every time you'd say after 60 minutes, get Rick off. He's doing absolutely nothing. And then in that last 30 minutes, win you a game of football. Mm-hmm. He could just light something up, Nick. I've from seen him absolutely, do it. <laughs> yeah. From absolutely nothing. He was a top... Technically a top player. Mm-hmm. As a character, he was difficult, but difficult in a good way. I don't think he was nasty. No. I don't think he was had any... Badness in him at all. Yeah, yeah, but and he had his own international breaks, didn't he? Well, I've, I've told the story. I'll tell it for you again. We we we're, we're playing. I think we we're, we're second in the league um, with about six games to go, and we go to Wolves. And it's just on. We we play at home against someone. We beat someone at home, and we're three or four points ahead now. I think or whatever, or two or three points. We play Wolves on the following fortnight. The following fortnight. So there's two week break. So Rick comes and sees me and says, you know, he's going off to to uh, to Jamaica. They they got a game and all. So this was on the Thursday, or he put his form into the secretary. So we're looking. I said to Kemp, have a look who Jamaica are playing because we need Rick back for this game. We couldn't find a fixture for Rick. <laughs> we looked, we looked absolutely everywhere, and we couldn't find a fixture. Jamaica, you know. So I, I pull him on the, the after the game. You you haven't got a fixture, Rick. There's no f- gaff. He used to say, "Gaff, there's a game. There's, honestly, there's a game. I can't remember who it is, but there's a game. But I, I promise you, I'll be back in on the Monday, so I'll have a full week before the Wolves game. So, okay, off he goes. Don't hear from him. We turn up on the Monday. Most of the lads are back. Obviously, we're preparing. You know, the opportunity and chance of getting in the Premiership and everything else. So we're preparing that week for Wolves. Mick McCarthy was manager. That Wolves are flying. It was going to be a full house. I think we'd sold about five and a half thousand tickets to go to the game. Yeah, it was just it was just a very, very important game for us. Monday, no Ricardo. Tuesday, no Ricardo. So I say to Dave, get on to him, Dave. Make sure he's in Thursday. We Wednesday off. Make sure he's in Thursday. Couldn't get hold of him. Thursday comes, no Ricardo. Friday we managed to get him, and he says, I think Rick's one of the reasons was that he got stopped in Miami. And then he had to go back to Jamaica to get some visa or whatever that would allow him to be back in. That was his. But he didn't come in until Saturday morning. So we've had a full week of training and preparation. Rick's not turned up. So on Saturday morning, we have pre-match at the ground. We didn't do it very often, but because Wolves was only 35 minutes away, we went and had pre-match. We all got together beforehand, got the players, had whatever we had upstairs in the Brit. Oh, I'll bet 365 Stadium now. Um, add, add something to eat. Even that, he's late for. He walks in, you know, at past 11, you're supposed to be there. He walked in about quarter 12, whatever. He had a baseball hat on the side of his head. He, you know, he's dragging his leg, his, his wooden leg along. <laughs> so he's, you know, morning to the players and, you know, all the lads are blanking him. They don't have nothing to do with him. He's completely custard pied us. All the group and everything else. We talked about how close the team was and what a great spirit it was. He walks down, gets his eggs and beans, sticks it on a bit of toast, and he sits on the table by himself. So he knows he's he's out of order. Yeah. So anyway, that the lads, uh, Dave Watson shouting the lads to get on the bus. Me and Kemp, you're still having a cup of tea, having a chat about this, that, and the other. So I say to Kemp, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to play him. So he says, Yeah, no, I don't blame you. He says, but stick him on the bench. I said, Kemp, do you think he deserves to be on the bench? Forget about, does he deserve it? Let's sort that out afterwards. Put him on the bench. So I, I'll think about it. So he walks past. He says, hello, Gaff. 
So I go, hello, Rick. Nice of you to turn up, mate. So he goes, big smile. Yeah, we're going to win today. Off he goes, <laughs> drags his leg through the thing and downstairs and sits by himself on the bus. Nobody has talked to him. Go in the dressing room. We get the lads uh, ready for the game. I think we go 1-0 up. And then it goes 1-1, one, 2-1. One, and then Liam scores a great goal to make it two each, or Rory might have scored, or Mama scored, one of the... Anyway, the game's two each, and Wolves are kicking down the slope now. There's about 20 minutes to go, and they are murdering us. They, there's balls coming in, left, right and centre. Um, and the lads, we had um, uh, Ryan and... Oh, Courty. Oh, Courty. Courty. Yeah, Courty at the back, heading, heading balls, you know, heading battleships out of the water. They did just... Smashing them on the head and everything else. So Kempy turns to me and he says, Let him, "Time to bring him on." And I said, "Time to bring him on." I said, Kempy couldn't walk straight. I said, I "Don't know what he's been doing. He just looks shot away." He said, "Get him warmed up." So I said, "Rick, go and get warmed up." So he's got to run up that little slope. So we run about twenty yards and then walked up the top. So he couldn't make it up the top of this little hill. So he's up there and he's doing little stretches, talking to the wolf supporters. So I'm looking at him. I'm going absolutely berserk inside, and I mean berserk. I'm thinking after the game he's getting it. So as he walks, as he walks down, Kemi goes, "Get him on!" I'm telling you, we need someone who's going to light this game up. Put him on. Corner comes in. I think Ryan edges it away. Rick chests it on the side of the the box near the dugout. He dribbles down, beats two players, smashes it in the back of the net. Unbelievable. <laughs> he sprints, the fastest I've ever seen him sprint in my life, right down the pitch, high-fiving. All the players are jumping on him. He's high-fiving everybody. <laughs> we end up winning the game 4-2. So I come in, I'm absolutely drenched in sweat and everything else. And I take my cap off and I sit in the corner. I've said, well done, lads. Fantastic result. Brilliant. Really deserve this. So I sit in the corner and all of a sudden he gets up and I can see him out of the corner of my eye coming over. And he walks over and he sits and still the players, are, you know, they're all over him now. He's the hero. <laughs> Comes, puts his hand around me and goes, Gaff, Gaff. He says, you worry too much. So I went to bite his head off and he went, and that's why you've got no air. <laughs> and he just got up and walked across the dressing room to the other side. And that was Rick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rick. And we pulled him Monday and he had all the excuses under the sun. Kempy said, you know, we've got video footage of four coats down on the beach in Jamaica and you playing in that, Rick. <laughs> and he went, yeah, most probably. <laughs> yeah, change is as good as a rest, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think he's, I think he's good too. Yeah, he got the two goals. I think goals. he got the two yeah. goals, yeah. 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 Tony, thank you so much. I hope you come back another time. That was great. Lovely to see you. Thanks yeah, very much, Tony. Brilliant. Phyllis. Thank you, lads. So thanks very much to Tony and send your emails into slopingpitch at gmail.com. Subscribe to the podcast if you possibly could. Rate and review us if you like. You can give the show five stars. And to be honest, and I don't like to beg, it's looking like we're not going to survive. So just tell lots of people to subscribe to it. It's free and we get free water. So please listen to us next week and tell everybody else too. Great big owl. Podcast Network.